Broadcasting from Orchard Park, New York, and Boca Raton, Florida, it's the Freight 360 Podcast. From freight broker sales tips to sports talk, this podcast is all about helping you grow as a freight broker. We're your hosts, Nate Cross and Benjamin Kowalski. Let's talk freight. All right. Welcome back to episode 146 of the Freight 360 Podcast. <laughs> I feel like me and technology don't get along all the time. I was trying to get our like our intro plan there, and I don't know. I got to figure out. We're using a new, a new, uh, what do you call this? A new platform. Platform, yeah. Zencaster instead of the other one. But anyway, welcome back for episode 146. We're going to be talking, uh, kind, of, kind of picking up where we left off last episode. Uh, we're going to talk about how to manage your book of business and how to protect your customers or book of business especially right now when, when the market is changing. And it, it, this stuff's going to be pretty applicable to, um, you know, just normal business practices and, you know, account management style things. But it's really important right now as, as you know, we're seeing a decline in economic activity. So uh, stay tuned for that one in today's episode. Uh, make sure you're sharing us with all your friends. Keep sending all your questions in. Um, we're getting a lot. We're getting a lot of questions and we're answering them and we're putting them on the show. So uh, yeah, all good, all good. Ben, what's new? What's new down in sunny Florida, man? Anything good? Yeah, weather's getting a little warm. I'm trying to figure out what we're doing for Fourth uh, of July. Actually, absolutely nothing on the agenda. Um, other than that, that's pretty much long and short of all of it. Went to the beach last night. Watched Ava play on the beach. That's about it. Nice, good stuff. Yeah, this is like one of my favorite times of year. Is like uh, just really getting into the groove of summer up here in Buffalo because. It's nice. It's warm. And uh, yeah, good stuff. I will tell you this, as far as like just getting older and little things that I just find really exciting anymore was I got a new beach chair actually this week. Um, (laughs) You ever see those Tommy Bahama ones? They like sit low, but they have like a big pocket in the back, a cooler, and then like a little thing. Oh, yeah. And I I mean, I've lived here for a very long time now. And to not have had a beach chair, I think is a little ridiculous. But I can tell you how excited I just was. You got a Tommy Bahama beach chair? Yeah, the one with a little back strap. Sure right now. Yeah. They have like a little backpack. So like when you're carrying them up, you just throw it on like a backpack and then a- Yeah. Anyway, that was mo- mostly why I didn't buy it cuz I'm like I'm always carrying the baby stuff and the toys and all this and I'm like I'm not going to carry a chair, but like I saw yeah. it at Costco and I was like I was like, "Oh, you know what? I'm like I feel like that's worth it." I was like super excited. I was like for something like that small, I had <laughs> was a lot of happiness. I was like this yeah, is the, fantastic. The things that we get excited about as we as we grow up. So Yeah. A chair. <laughs> yep. Good stuff. Um, well, hey, sports. Let's see here. The NHL playoffs are over. Um, Colorado Avalanche took it in, I think it was like game six that they won yeah. last week. or Away, too. They they won on the road, didn't they? Yeah. In Tampa Bay? Yep. Yep, they did. It was, yeah, was it game six? I don't even remember. It was game six. Okay. But, uh, yeah. So, NHL is over. NBA is over. Um what else? Do, oh, I want to talk about this live golfing with you. First U.S. event, I think, is this weekend. Um, and I think they just announced also that the President's Club, they're going to um, – no one's going to – if you're in live, you're ineligible. I think I saw the article. I didn't get a chance to read it. It came across my headlines this morning. So can somebody play in this live tour and still do any of the, the – like the um, majors at all or no? So here's, well, here's where it's at. And this is the controversy. So the PGA for every, like there's no rev share and you're not like an employee, like in the NFL, they're individual like events. So while you're a member of the PGA to participate, you're like not an employee and they don't have the same benefits like the other sports do. Right. So technically like you decide, Hey, I'm either going to play or not playing an event. So as like kind of the way I had understood it is they're like 1099. So like they can kind of work wherever they want. So technically yeah. if they want to play in another tour, like, you know, sometimes a guy will play from the PJ in the master or the, you know, the master's tournament, not the masters, but the, um, I can't remember what it's called when they get older, the next tour, uh, like 50 and older. Okay. Um, so like they'll play in that event there or they'll play down sometimes in a corn ferry tour occasionally. So when this first started, basically everyone's like, well, like, look, if we can play in whatever event we want, like they're going to pay us more than we've made in our entire career. We can play for like basically a season and it changes our life. So like we should be able to play 
in other events if we want. And there was a lot of controversy. Do they need to resign from the PGA Tour to play and live? Or can they just play and live and the PGA? And now independently, I know the majors are run individually, like with the PGA, but apart from the PGA, like they're standalone events. So the PGA wasn't- Doesn't the USGA run those? They All run right. the, the USGA, I think runs the Open. The PGA is run by, I think, the PGA. Uh, Masters, obviously, by- um, Augusta and then open PGA British open. Yeah. And the British open by, I don't know. And I don't know who runs the British. So anyway, what, what has happened recently was after they went and played in some of it, the PGA said, well, now you can't play. Or some of the players have said like, well, we've opted out of the PGA temporarily. And they didn't know whether or not they were going to be able to play in the majors. And I think some of the majors, and I don't know if all of them or some are now starting to say like, well, Hey, if you're there, you can't now participate. And it's also playing out in the other individual events, like the president's cup and the, um, I think it's the president's cup this year. It's like every two years. And then there's the Ryder cup or the off years. So it looks like kind of the PGA is leveraging their relationships with the other events to try to kind of, um, it's insane. Send them into prize. When I saw the amount of money that they're throwing at some of these players, like 50 million or so, like something. $100 million, $50 million, $100 million. Like it's more yeah. than Dustin Johnson has made in his entire career to play like one year over there. And I mean yeah. like – and here's the other thing, right? Yes, and I get both sides and I get what they're saying. Like basically this is like – and I've heard people even go like pretty um, – uh, what do you want to say? Hyperbole, hyperbolic about it, saying that like this is the 9-11 league, the Saudis are backing this, this is the money that is back terrorism, and obviously the journalist Khashoggi that was killed and everything. But like at the end of the day, someone else was like, Look, like the Saudi family, like the money where that's coming from, also already sponsors like four European events and like seven LPGA events. And they're like, they named all of the other things that have been normalized and everybody's just kind of okay with, and they're like, okay. Like, is this really that or is this more the PGA trying to use this to keep a monopoly and hold power longer than they have? And again, it's probably a lot of the things are true. It's probably yeah. not one thing or the other. So first U.S. event starts today, June 30th, Portland. Is that Portland, Maine or Portland, Oregon? I think it's in Oregon. Pretty sure Northwest. Okay. Wow. But yeah. Well, so hey, that's that's live. We're gonna have, we're gonna be following. I'm just curious to see how this pans out. Hey, at least yeah. we know Tiger didn't. He didn't turn his back on the PGA. I can't imagine what they would have had to offer him. He, I they thought it was something, right? He just said no. Yeah, they said it was high nine figures, like what I'd heard reported. Jeez. Wow. Well. Anyway. We're going to talk freight. So let's get, let's get a shout out to our friends yeah. over at DAT. And Taking we'll the guesswork so. out of freight with DAT. The DAT Load Board Network is the largest on-demand freight marketplace in North America, connecting freight brokers with available capacity on any lane. Grow your business with tools that allow you to find new business partners, and you can quickly qualify and onboard new carriers. And with the industry's leading freight rate data, you can make clear and confident pricing decisions. Check out the show notes for a free month of Power Express or Trucker's Edge. Absolutely. All right. So today's episode topic is about protecting your book of business. So specifically right now, we're seeing we're, we're in a recession, right? I think we are technically now officially in a, in a recession. Is that the case, right? We've had two... I- do not believe so. It's two declining quarters of GDP, and I don't okay. think we have. So they haven't that. they haven't announced the recession yet. But either way, decreased economic activity has um, you know we've seen a change in things clearly, right? With interest rates going up, etc. Business cycle happens. We're used to this in the freight marketplace and the freight industry in general, and we're seeing that downturn in some markets right now. Not all, because think about this, a lot of construction and things that have been backlogged are now, are, are still getting caught up, right? So there's a lot of that building material and uh, you know the, your lumber and whatnot that at one point you couldn't even get your hands on in some cases, but now that stuff's starting to get caught back up. But you'll have other certain you know consumer goods that maybe are, you know, you're gonna have a fluctuation based on how much free money people have, right? So regardless, right? This stuff cycles in freight brokerage and in the freight world. 
So we're on the we're on the the downturn of it in general, right? Again, I don't want to say that every market's doing this, but that's generally where we're at. So, what does that mean for you as a broker in general? You're likely going to have less business out of your. The average customer will have less business, right? Which means you're going to have more competition amongst other brokers potentially. Um, and what else? I mean, what, I mean, kind of what are your other obvious? implications here. I think you see prices go down, which leads to a re- reduction in your margin typically. It can. It does. And, and the, the interesting thing is though, as the market shifts, kind of both things also can happen simultaneously, right? Because it's usually started from the carrier side, not necessarily the shipper, contrary to every, I think everyone's belief is that like the rates are falling because other trucks are willing to run the loads for less money or they're yeah. going and calling the shippers and saying, hey, I don't want to necessarily run as much in the spot market anymore because it's very volatile. I'm willing to take a contract rate from you for maybe a little less than spot, but a little you know, lower, but it's it works out over the long run, right? So, yeah. and when they're doing that, like, and you're also seeing that happen, right? Like the, the flip between contract and spot, we're like four months into it, right? And right now- Still, the contract market is above the spot market because shippers are like, hey, if you're willing to come here and commit to our freight, we'll pay you a little more than the spot market to have reliability over a longer period. So as margins, like margins, right, if, you're, if your pay is going down and your, your top rate's going down, you might be holding the same percentage, but they're a function of the larger number, right? So your dollars in the door usually go down, right? Yep. If you're charging $1,000 for a load, 25%, and now you're charging 500 for that load, 25% of 500 is less than 1,000. It's, it's the exact opposite of what yeah. we saw when stuff right. started booming over the last mm-hmm. couple of years. Now, you said, so you said the carriers are going to be the ones that are, it's not the shipper, the carrier that's going to be the reason for prices dropping. But I want to add in there, because of less available freight to move, that is one thing that will yes. cause a carrier to make that decision to haul it for a lesser rate. Um and, you know, well, and that, but that's important, right? Because it's not necessarily like one or the other, right? And I didn't want to imply that like truck drivers are like, hey, I'm just going to do this for less money all of a sudden. And it's like, like anyone's fault. But you're right, because when you're a truck and you're like relying on a spot load and all of a sudden that broker doesn't have that load anymore, right? Now you're like, okay, well, I need something. And if I can't get what I used to do, I've got to get the next best thing. And if that next best thing is lower than what you were getting before, Everyone participates because that's the yes. way the market moves up and down. It's yep. not like any one individual is doing any of it. But like you said, there's less of it. So when I go to get what I usually do and it's not there, I've got to take the next thing that's available, the next best yep. thing. The same thing with it's it's supply and demand is what it comes down to. And mm-hmm. It's the same thing with when rates go up, right? There's instead of less freight available, they were, it was the, the you know less capacity readily available. So that's you know what's going to drive your prices up. So. <laughs> How do you how do you protect yourself? How do you protect your your book of business in this situation? Um, I'm going to tell you, and I, I said this last week. These kinds of kinds of cyclical situations, market cycles, they're a healthy way to weed out the bad, low, the underperforming companies, and that could be carriers, and it's definitely brokers as well, right? The brokers Every, that yeah. you know now that it's higher competition. Hey, whoever's the better, whoever's going to take care of their customer better, right? Whoever's going to be a better, a bigger value add to their customer has a better shot at succeeding. And, and really, you could you could prosper in any kind of market, but they have a better shot than the folks that were just, hey, every single customer had an issue and it was easy to onboard with them in the last couple of years. You know, as long as you can find them a truck, you know, boom, you're under the customer. It's not the case right now. So what um, I mean, you, you've been through this a number of times. What are, what are the, some of the things that you recommend? to folks in this kind of a market or really again, not just this market, but in general, when things are changing. Yeah. Things are always changing. Right. And it's like, there's that old adage, right? Like if you live by the rate, you're going to die by the rate. You get the good with the bad. If you are constantly chasing short term loads, spot loads, right? When those start to get picked up by other carriers and they're no longer a problem for the shipper. Why? Because again, what we were just talking about carriers, aren't getting some loads from brokers and they want more reliability in their future. Fuel is becoming unpredictable. They want to at least know they can pay their leases, pay their bills and be able to, you know, continue doing business. So they go to the shippers and they go, Hey, you know, I know I haven't been working with you for a few years, but we were working pre pandemic, you know, can we get some of these loads again? I knew I used to run this for you, yada, 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 where are you at? Can I bid on this? 
and they do. And the shipper starts moving direct with some of these carriers that because in 2021 and 20 and the previous year and the pandemic, we had this unicorn of just this peaked market that stayed that way, right? So there was no cycling. And a lot of these companies didn't even operate pre-pandemic to even understand like what it was like before then. Yeah. And to your point, like it shifts things. So what matters, right? Well, if your customer, you know, is evaluating other options because every shipper is, right? In a changing market, what does everybody do? You look to see if your provider's in line with what you get in the open market, right? I will tell you the amount of um, RFPs and bid cycles that I've seen popping up now versus 12 months ago is crazy. Yep. So you, I think it's for two reasons. Evaluating. So two reasons, right? One, because carriers are willing to now start taking contract loads. They weren't, and for good reason, it was very profitable to not do it before. Now they're willing to do that. Well, the same thing is going to work for brokers because brokers have to work honestly, in line with what the carrier market is doing, right? So if the carriers are working bids, what do you think we need to do as brokers to serve these same shippers, right? Yeah. I mean, you, you're, you've got to do the exact same thing. And this is, this is again, this is what we used to do before, before the pandemic, right? So, yes. and a lot of folks out there brokering, like you said, they've never experienced what it was like before. So, mm-hmm. um, well, let's talk yeah, more I about think, that though. So like, what are right. some things that people can do actionably to like start working from, from moving from the spot market to the contract market, right? Like this is one of the things you're going to be doing to protect your book of business, right? Yes. We're pointing out, which is asking your customers, Hey, you know, I know we've worked with a lot of your last minute freight stuff you needed just in time. How's that going? And, and just having some of these conversations with your customers also, and this is another one that I find that not a lot of people do because we get stuck in what needs to be done. Having the conversations when you don't have a load to move and nothing's going on and calling your customer and going, hey, do you have some time? I wanted to kind of chat through how everything's going, where things are headed and what you think you guys can expect in the future, right? Yeah, I no, you're, you're absolutely right. So um, there's a lot of different ways you can phrase it with your customer too, but I, I wanna premise this by saying, getting out of the spot market and moving towards that repetitive contract business, that's the golden goose. That's what you want to get to, right? Yes. So, you know, you, you're mm-hmm. instead of looking five feet ahead of you, oh my gosh, there's a load right now, I have to get covered. You're looking, you know, you're looking down, you know, further down the horizon at future business, right? And a lot of times people are like, well, I can't make money today on a bid, but I can make money in a spot market. It's like, well, yeah. So, and I think you said it last week, right? Th- those People that do the hard work now have it easy later, right? And those that do take it the easy way now have it hard later. So having those conversations with your customer, yeah, you can still work on some of their spot business now, but you need to have those higher level conversations. Like you just said, how are things looking? How are things, you know, what what are you foreseeing long-term? And, um, you know, like we said, there's been a lot of turnover with staff at a lot of companies and manufacturers and shippers. So you may have a person there that's tendering freight that maybe doesn't have the total insight of the market like somebody might have two years ago. So being a value add and, and actually talking through them like, hey, you know, have you guys noticed X, Y, and Z, you know, fill in the blank and give them that feedback and, you know, talk through, well, are, are you, you know, are you planning on doing any kind of, uh, you know, a monthly or quarterly mini bid or anything coming up down the road versus how we've been doing it the last X amount of years and have those conversations and, you, you know, some customers, they're not going to change. They're just going to keep chugging along mm-hmm. as they have been. Others, they'll be happy to go right back to that bid. So yeah. everyone's going to be a little bit different. And, and here's the other thing too, right? Like, I, and I've been hearing a lot of this lately too. It's like, well, you know, my shipper just says they're not running that anymore. And that very well might be true, right? Or they're saying, oh, you know what? Like, I just don't have this load or we're not going to be doing this anymore. And that these things could be true. But they could also be a lot of other things, right? It could be a carrier came and underbid you. It could be a broker came and underbid you. It could be that maybe it's a little less frequent and maybe they're also trying to do both in less frequency and they found a carrier that can now run that, you know, consistently, right? But the reality, I'm just going to add in here. I think it's good to be bold and ask questions like that too. I was just going to say that. So, you know, what are, what are other brokers coming in on these rate or on these lanes or, Hey, what are carriers coming in on these lanes? Yes. Cut through the horseshit because you can't make any progress when neither of you are talking about the reality, right? And we do this all the time with niceties and we're dancing around the things. But the reality is, is like, if I really want this relationship's important to me, that's the conversation I'm going to have. 
hey, Sally, I got to imagine you're probably getting some offers from directly from some asset companies that you haven't seen in a few years. How's that been going? Have they been able to help you? I'm not saying it like where I have my defenses up because that's why they don't want to tell us in the first place. They think we're going to argue with them and tell them why they shouldn't work with them and they should work with us. Like if this is genuinely helping your customer and you genuinely like working with them, this is a good thing. Because again, even if it means you have a little less business temporarily, it's a cycle and it's not going to stay here either. And it is eventually going to get tight again. And if you can be there when it's not in your favor and not just the good times, that's what makes a lasting relationship with any human being, not yeah. just a customer, right? Be there when it's good and when it's bad and, and yeah. be okay that they're, they're benefiting from it. Hey, your customers have been getting hammered with shipping rates for two and a half years, getting yelled at and screamed at. Customers are telling them they're too expensive. Their boss tells them they spend too much money. Hey, it must be nice that you guys actually got some reasonable rates on some stuff. How's that doing? How's that working for you? Guys getting better in performance. Is it easier over there? I mean, how's it been with you? I mean, how many people do you even know that know their customer, know the person that works with them or above them, right? Some other things. It's just having these conversations to have a deeper relationship is going to go a long way. Yeah. I want to add in there too, is this is a great time to diversify your book of business, right? So if, if business starts to taper back somewhat with some of your customers, you can't expect to just get a bigger percentage of their business to maintain your, your, you know, your numbers. Now you've got to go out there and you've got to get some more customers. And that can be as simple as look at the seasonal stuff. What types of business, what types of freight, or, you know, maybe we're talking produce, what kind of stuff is starting to move around this time of year in a certain part of the country, or look at the bigger macro level of things like, Hey, where, where are there, you know, surges in demand right now. And we're going to, I want to definitely, we'll wrap up today with the DAT article from Dean Croak that we talked, you know, talks about a lot of the, the imports. Um, but look at where the business is and look for that next opportunity. Just the same way that when the pandemic hit and almost every single customer had trouble getting the truck and it was an opportunity. Well, now there's still opportunities. They're just not every single rock, rock when you flip it over. You have to go hunt for them like we did traditionally before that. So, so. Um, Definitely great for, for adding new customers and prospecting more. Absolutely. And they also, there's a great, I don't know if, um, we mention this occasionally, but DAT does an episode, it's a podcast called Freight Vine. And Chris Kaplis, Dr. Chris Kaplis does it. And he interviews Dr. Jason Miller on last week's. And the title of it is, No, the Sky is Not Falling, a Contrarian View on the Economy. And one, it's a fantastic description of where the market is but also why the market is where it is. And I, one of the most interesting takeaways, and we were talking about this before we went on air, if you look at shipping rates, right, on a graph over the past, we'll say 10 years, yep. and you just take out the pandemic, like if you just clip that part out of the graph and moved where we're at now up against like to the end of 2018, early 19, like it's like exactly kind of where it should be. In fact, even if you look at some of the numbers, like even the cargo volumes versus like the carriers in the market aren't that far off from where it was. And he even makes a point. He's like, look, if you had interviewed anybody at the end of 2018, beginning of 2019 and said, would you be happy with the current market that we sit in right now? He's like unequivocally both sides, everybody, carriers and shippers would have said like, this is a pretty fair market to be in on both sides. It's not yeah. super expensive, but it's not super cheap. And again, different fuel, but if you've got, that's a whole other point, right? If you've got fuel service charge and you've got contract freight, you're probably not getting beat up as much on the you know increase in fuel charges. But if you're living in the spot market where it's all wrapped in, you're probably getting hammered right now. So this is, the, you brought up an interesting point, fuel surcharge. And I, fuel surcharge has kind of gone by the wayside the last couple of years, right? Because mm -hmm. it's just kind of been like fuel For became this one of the, like one of the lowest portions that of, you know, what impacted yeah. the the rate, right? It, what it really came down to is, could you get a truck? What, five or that? six bucks a mile? Who cares yeah. about the, you know, the fractions of a dollar that are going towards fuel at that point? Yep. But I mean, as your as your line haul rates go down, you're going to see that, yeah, that that the cost of diesel is a bigger chunk of the overall rate. And especially with rates on the rise and, and you know, in the fuel sector, it's uh, it's it's no joke. So yeah, that that the fuel. Have you seen fuel surcharge more and more prevalent in the last few weeks? I've yeah, definitely, I've definitely seen it. I'm like, wow, yeah. fuel surcharge is back. 
Yeah, and so, even to the point where like people are, I, I know, and they talked about in that in that same interview, they were talking about like carriers are just like literally ripping up their fuel service charts like on a monthly basis for the past couple of months because they were literally going off of the chart and needing yeah. to create the next one. Um, so, I mean, if you think about, they usually get released as it Mondays or Tuesdays each week. Like the EPA puts out the average rates, and then like Truck Stop will issue their. I don't even their, remember. It's been a while since again since I was anyway. Yeah, but normally t- I want to kind of explain what you're talking about with off the chart, right? So like normally you'd have a range and it might be like, I don't know, it might go up to like $3.50 or $4 a gallon. Mm-hmm. And it, like for every, like, is it like for every few, few cents of fuel, it would change your fuel store chart. But anyway, yeah. like the chart only on one page only goes up so high before you're like, yeah. oh wow, fuel prices are actually higher than what this chart even lets me read. So yeah, it's nuts. And, and to your point, right, like one, like this has a lot to do with what's going on, because, you know, if you're a carrier running spot market loads where you had a lot of deadhead in between them, but it didn't matter because you were making enough in the spot market that like that was a profitable thing to do in that market. Yeah. But the reality was, is like that wasn't sustainable. Those rates weren't sustainable. And like now a lot of the carriers are having a lot of difficulty and in return that causes issues back in turn for your shipper. So back full circle, right? When we talk about opportunities, if you're talking to your shipper, yes, you might be getting underbid from a couple lanes you used to be running for the past year or two, but they're absolutely having other issues because of the shift in the market, right? When a market moves yeah. in either direction, it changes everything. If it's going up, some carriers are bailing, some carriers are jumping on board. When it goes down, both things are happening at the same time, and that creates opportunities in either market for a broker, right? Yeah. Absolutely, and that's it. You, so. I like kind of the whole culmination, right? The sky is not falling, right? It's not the end of the world. It's not the end of brokers. This is actually where the market was pre-pandemic or, or you know, a few years ago. Um, and just like any other time, there's always opportunities and you just gotta go out there and find them. I wanna also, I got the diesel data here. One year ago, national average for diesel was $3.29 a gallon, $3.29. It's $5.71 right now. So in 12 months, I mean, you. Yeah you know, just under doubled it. And um, you gotta think like you, to your point, the spot market stuff, these guys that would just drive, they chase the highest paying stuff and they might deadhead 200 miles to the next one, 200 miles. If you're getting five, uh, five miles to the gallon, I mean, times that by five, almost six bucks a gallon. If, yeah. if you're out in California, it's like 10 bucks a gallon. So yeah, that stuff, it makes it less and less attractive. So go out there and turn some rocks over and start again. Here's the thing, right? Kill it, drag it home and eat it. Go out and do it again. If you're working on bids, you can factor in the fuel surcharge, right? You can yep. get that variable yep. built in. Will, they'll publish what theirs is. Yes. So again, like there are ways to deal with this. We've tra- <laughs> this used to be a part of like day-to-day business. Like we've gotten away from it because of the way the market temporarily was, but this is really more a turn to just the way the market normally functions. It's not the end of the world. It's not yep. that things are getting that bad. But what I wanted to cover too is some actionable things that people can also do, right, to protect their book. And I would say the first thing is how many people are aware of what their book of business actually looks like? How many active customers do you have? How many have you onboarded? And how often have you been speaking to any of them? Even your current ones. Are you only speaking to them when they send you a loads? Have you reached out? Are you talking to them? We were talking to some people the past couple of weeks that have like, 40, 50, 60 customers in their book of business and they're working with, you know, eight or 10 of them and they haven't talked to the rest in a month or two, right? Like, I mean, you spent this much effort to find them and to build these relationships. And again, yes, things happen. A customer blows up, it eats up your time, but you've got to make a concerted effort that if you've got customers that are active in your system with approved credit that you've ran loads for, that's your lowest hanging fruit first. You should be calling all those today, tomorrow, especially in the holiday weeks, because again, that shifts the market and changes it than a normal week. More things don't get picked up, more people have issues, more trucks aren't there when they're supposed to be there. Yep, I like to call that whole concept kind of doing like a health check on your, mm-hmm. on your business. And that, so this is the kind of stuff that I always loved for like, um, so let's say for example, this is a holiday week, right? We're going into, so probably, in you know Friday afternoon before the Fourth of July is probably going to be pretty slow. Not a bad time to, to call up when you know your customer's not busy and yep. just 
shoot this shit, have a conversation. You know, it's, it's also not just how it's business going. That's a, just a rapport building um, tool as well. Because at the end of the day, you know, if you're all, if all you're doing is, get, is servicing their, their, you know, servicing your customer, you don't have any personal relationship or rapport with them. You're a lot easier to dispose of if somebody else comes in as a new shiny item that, you know, yeah. you know, they might like better than you. So those, those another- little health checks, you know, figure out where you do like a little pulse check. See how, where is your book of business? Is, is it too heavy in one customer? Do you have a, did you think you had 10 customers? Then you realize, oh, three of these guys, I haven't even moved a load for in two months. Like, hello, you, you, this is the kind of stuff you have to realize. And you should have analytics tools or reporting in your TMS. They can break down and you can see how many loads that I do, you know, for all my customers in the last 30 days or something like that. So definitely give your, take a look in the mirror and see where your book's at. And here's another, and here's another reason to do it, right? For all of you people out there that are being held accountable to call numbers, right? And your call times, do you think these are difficult calls to make? These are like the ones that are the easiest to make. These are like the lowest hanging fruit effort wise as well. Like they should regenerate you. You should feel better after them. You're not yeah. going to deal with a gatekeeper. Own a guy you've had, you know, done business with or, or, you know, a girl you've been working with and some other things. Find out to your point, like more about them. It's a great time. There's a holiday coming up, right? Hey, what are your plans for the 4th of July? How's it? How's the staff going over there? What are you guys up to next week? Like talk about anything but business. That's where the relationships get established, right? Talk about what people are doing when they're traveling. At the ends and the beginning of the week are the easiest to have those calls because it's recently in their mind or they're, you know, that's what they're thinking about. They want to tell you about their kid's soccer game, their vacation, their road trip, right? They're at work too, right? It's nice to have a little respite from that to be able to talk to like a friend and a colleague. Yep, absolutely. Well, good stuff. So to, to recap, how to protect your book, I'm gonna we're just gonna hammer these out here as a as a refresher. So, first of all, pick up the phone and call your customers. <laughs> you can't, you know, you re- you really can't um, can't make it, you know, put it much more simpler than that. But on those phone calls. Get a little, you know, check up. How are things going? You know, what are they seeing competition wise? Um, how, you know, what kind of bids are they getting from brokers versus, you know, an increased amount of bids from asset based companies? Uh, get out there and prospect additional business. Uh, and there's one, there's one other one that I didn't, we didn't talk. I do want to hand this really quick. Is, um, you know, if you've gotten to the point where you're very proficient in brokerage, this might be the time to really hone in on a niche and become that specialized person in something, right? Because when, you know, there's less competition in the specialized um, space, right? So like, for example, maybe you do um, all overdimensional or over overweight, right? Or maybe you do all hazmat or chemicals, okay? With less brokers and less competition, you're not going to feel the pain when the market dips like you would in freight all kinds, right? Or just standard commodities. So, Look, look to hone in on a niche and make yourself an expert in a certain area. Um, yeah, I want to add a tip there. Yeah, and add to that, right? Like, it's really kind of easy to see. If you've been in this for a year, definitely two years, look back over your graphs on a month, right? Because most TMSs will give you a graph and you could see each customer where they peak and where their season literally cycles, right? And if most of your business peaks and works around whatever October through the holiday season, right? Okay, well, let's start prospecting some things and industries that peak in the summer, maybe the peak in the spring, look to find other things that can fill up your year so that, again, maybe your customers only do a ton of business three months out of the year, which is kind of typical for a lot of industries. Fill fill in the rest of the calendar with your prospects, right? Which is the one last thing I'll add with, we're talking about knowing who your active customers are. The next thing you need to know is who's in your prospecting funnel? Are you calling the same 80 or 60 people every day expecting a different result? Are you calling them every other day? Like, are you really working a funnel? Meaning like you are eliminating prospects every week and you're adding and refilling it, right? It should not be a static list that you just sit down and call every single day and then hope that you're going to find business in that same list. Oh, I didn't, and I've seen that. answer today. I got a good feeling about it. <laughs> Today's <laughs> going to be the day. It's not going to be customer. Today is going to be the day. Yeah. Uh, no, that's good though. That's definitely good. So, well, good stuff. Good conversation on it. Um, there's a. I mean, we have to see how the how the market pans out. No, you know, no one knows the future, but we do know that a lot of the same principles they matter or they, they're applicable in tight markets, loose markets, high prices, low prices, you know, these customer service and account management type of 
um, practices, they're applicable 24-7, 365. So, all right, we got three questions for Q&A, but first I give a shout out to our friends and sponsor over at Lean. Lean Solutions Group is the industry leader in near shore staffing solutions with offices in South America, including freight broker back office operations, accounting, tech development, business development, marketing, customer service, and many other positions. To learn more about the vast solutions Lean has to offer your freight brokerage or agency, visit www.leangroup.com. Again, that's leangroup.com. And for the record, I stole the majority of that ad read from Trey because I think he's got it posted somewhere on his like LinkedIn. So I got sick of, of winging it every single week. And, you know, so why recreate the wheel? What's that? Why recreate the wheel? Oh, exactly. Exactly. Okay. So uh, first question is what does a carrier need to haul a hazmat load? So the, I mean, the, the main thing is to be, have a hazmat certification and you should be, you be able to For see the that in your TMS or through yep. FMCSA. Uh, but you as a brokerage, there's not a, there's not a set like cert that you need. You're supposed to be in, to be in compliance. You're supposed to have some kind of company training on dangerous goods and hazmat, but your carriers who needs to have that, um, they need to have that hazmat certification, um, placards on the side of the vehicle, if applicable, and usually the customer is going to have those placards. Um, like they, they might have like sticker placards, but if it's a, it's a big hazmat carrier, they probably have them already um, drilled onto the side of their truck. The ones that flip over like a book. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah. So certainly they need to be certified. Their insurance has to cover it and uh, placards. You got anything else on hazmat? Yeah. Pay attention to the class. Um, yes. And the insurance. Um, you want to make sure there are lots of hazmat carriers that cannot move all the different classes. Some of them have like, I think, and if I remember, you, you'll probably know, it's been a long time since I ran this, but isn't there like, there's like cleanup requirements or like an insurance for cleanup on hazmat too, where there's like a clause that, I thought there was something related to insurance that like, I remembered. I don't know. That's a good question. You're talking about the carrier's like their insurance policy? Yeah, for some reason. I have to cover like cleanup expenses? Yeah, I thought there was like a line. But again, it's been years since I like actually looked at the cert for hazmat carrier. Um, anyway. Good question. Huh. I don't know. Not sure. We'll have, to, we'll have to dig into it and revisit that one. So, but yeah, that's a big thing. Um, so if you don't know what the, if you don't know what the has hazardous classes are, there's nine. Well, there's actually 10 is miscellaneous, I think. Right. But like classes one through nine. So like one is explosives, eight is oxidizers. Um, you can look it up if you just do like a little Google search on hazmat classes, but like for, but there's different ranges. So like, for example, explosives, right. You could have like class 1.1 is the most explosive, most dangerous type of uh, explosive hazmat where you might have like 1.5 or 1.6 might be like a blasting cap for um, for a round of ammunition. So a lot different, which is why some carriers maybe they may be able to haul some some of class one, but not all of class one. And hey, it's fireworks season. So I, I know that there's been a big demand for shipping that stuff um, the last couple of months. So that's hazmat. Next question. What are the pros and cons of working for a large Versus a small brokerage. I feel like we've had this question before. Somebody, it might've been worded differently. Yeah. Um, in a nutshell, I think let's, let's look at the pros of, of, of both. Um, large company, you're going to have a lot of talent around you to learn from. Um, you've got probably a, a recognizable company name, uh, probably a really good training and onboarding program, room for advancement. If you want to get up into management, um, smaller companies, pros, less competition to to um, work with a customer or even tag a prospect in your name. Yep. Um, what else you got? To be honest, the, the biggest trade-offs I think are that, right? It's the prospecting and kind of like your carrier base to some degree, which isn't really even that much of an advantage, I think, anymore. Like the really large companies, they're just moving enough freight that usually if you got a prospect, you can look in their system and there's some carrier that has just run it or um, yeah. that is running the backhaul you can call. Yeah, they're not always going to take your load. There's just the odds of being able to find the carrier get a little That's easier. That's a really good point is the carrier data in their TMS. Yeah. Um, the, uh, the, 
the downside, definitely. I mean, upside of everything you said, training, security, but like you're competing against the people there and the people there are also competing for prospects that aren't customers yet. And it is hard to get the prospects you feel are a good fit for this time of the year or industry because the people with seniority are already trying to get it or have books and they're fighting to get those. And there's a lot of that back and forth. I thought about this too. I was thinking, I said, what's one of the pros of a large company? I said like brand recognition, they know your company name. Then I thought to myself, what's one of the, the, cons of a large company and it could be the same Big thing name. You know, and everybody has a company name that some carriers will never haul for oh so. yeah because you're training thousands of people right with honestly in some ways very little experience and they are touching and impacting and making mistakes and that definitely affects the other side yeah. of it yeah so i mean at the end of the day to me i think it's a preference thing um i think if you like some people love the the big call center style office because mm-hmm. there's camaraderie, it's fun, like yeah. work hard, play hard. And some people just like the more of the modest size, smaller setting where it's you're more of like a family feel instead of a corporate feel. And it's totally totally preference. It really doesn't make a difference as long as, long as you are doing the right things and you have the right support that you need. You could succeed in any one of those. I will say this: I have seen. Many people go from the bigger companies to the smaller. I don't yes. think I've ever met somebody that has gone from the smaller company oh, to the big company. I agree. That's a very good point. So um, it's beneficial early on in your career. As you progress, being at the bigger companies, unless you're in management, you tend to go to the smaller companies. Yeah. And so, but I think it's a testament to how successful these big companies are at training people is that they, they, put through so many people. Right. Whereas some of these smaller companies, um, you know, they, they're small because they're not hiring and trying to grow at the same speed as like a, a coyote or a CH Robinson. So yeah, but yeah, you're right. They definitely go, they definitely go from the bigger ones to the smaller. And I typically don't see it go the opposite way. So, um, here's the last question. Why are box, truck rates cheap the, the the full context was like comparing the price per mile of a box truck compared to like a full truckload and this might maybe it's just me but this is a to me it's an obvious answer it's a smaller truck it can hold less freight less pallets yeah. so that's why it's going to cost you less it costs less to operate and you're not moving as much so you shouldn't be paying full truckload prices for a box truck that might hold 10 pallets or something like that. So I'm assuming that's what they were, why they were asking that, but I don't know. Yeah, I mean. It's it's, the, I mean, any, any of those like hot shop, right? The you price might of the asset, van. just start there. The price of the vehicles are drastically different. A Sprinter van, much cheaper than a box truck, probably. You could probably buy a Sprinter van close to that, right? They're probably not that far off. But a semi, you're way above the price of a box truck. I mean, yeah. think about what you pay for a U-Haul and think about the, you know, upwards of probably three, $400,000 for a new rig. Like you're yep. not even in the same stratosphere. Yeah. We've got, di- we've got different number of digits on that price tag yeah. there. <laughs> so, but that's it. But here's, what's cool with the, the expedited or like the, the partial world is I would consider it a niche and it's a niche market that a lot of brokers don't ever get into. Cause they're like, what? It's not a full truckload. I, mm-hmm. I don't know how to do this. Well, there's a whole market out there where yep. people are relying on, I need it there tomorrow morning or we're gonna have production shut down. So put it in the back of a van or a box truck or Don't a straight care. truck. Just get it there. And yep. they like, your customers could pay, they're like, hey, you tell me, you get me one and get it there by tomorrow morning, you have an Come open check. Yep. yep. So, and you get a lot of that with like final mile stuff too with freight forwarders. So it's definitely a fun market, it's exciting. Um, but yeah, that's why they're cheaper because they are, uh, less expensive to own, operate, and they haul less. So and, good to have someone drive, by the way, I don't even think like you might need a CDL, but like, I'm pretty sure you don't even necessarily need a CDL for a box truck. Yeah. You, so like, I, um, if you, I don't have it in front of me, but the, you don't need one for, you don't need one for a, uh, like a sprinter van or box truck. So it, it's when you're over a certain gross weight is when you need to have a, a CDL and there's different levels of it. But I think one of them is like 26,000 pounds. Um, you need the, 
certain type of CDL, which if you're underneath that, that's a different kind. Um, but if you're below a certain weight in general, you don't need one. Like think about it. You can go to, to like you said, U-Haul, you can go rent a U-Haul, like a straight truck or a box truck and go move your house, but you don't need a CDL, just need a driver's license. So, mm-hmm. well, good episode, Ben. You got any, uh, any overall thoughts here? We didn't get any, we didn't get like a proverb out of you today. I don't know that like I have quote, you know? Uh, no, I didn't have any on deck, but I did want to go through a couple of things from that DAT article that we didn't get a chance to cover. Oh, yes, because, yes. Yeah, let's wrap um, up with that. The title of it is Containerized Imports Show No Sign of Slowing Down. So the one thing that I thought was comical was literally that morning, I saw something in mainstream news that was like titled the exact opposite. And it was showing why like the economy is imploding because of of imports. And then I'm like, Dean's article came out in the exact opposite, which made me laugh because I'm like, we know Dean, he's been on the show and like, you know, he's in the economic data and is like following what's going on. And it's and again, he's also a cool guy that, cause he's from Australia and has an yeah. awesome accent. But in this article, you know, the long and short of it is they talk about imports that are actually going up. But the, the other piece of it is they talk about what are the imports that are increasing, right? And I'll just read the last paragraph. And then there's a graph in here that, that lists them out. Um, but you got Walmart, Target, Home Depot, Lowe's, all retailers, Ashley Furniture, Dole Foods, Samsung America, Dollar Tree, Chiquita Brands. In fact, they're in Fort Lauderdale. LG Group, they used to be my customer, Nike, Ikea International, GE Appliances, Williams Sonoma. I don't know what that one is. Heineken, Suma Brands. Sumitomo? Yeah, Sumitomo. Pompano it's a food Beach. company in Pompano Beach. That is, that's where our shirts were made. It's like eight miles down the road. I have no idea who they are. Um, <laughs> rooms to go and Dollar General. Dollar General and Dollar Tree, right? So- Again, right? Like another thing that I heard denominator in all of this. Well, one is that, and they talk about this too in there, is that like if you look at Target as an example, Target's stock value fell, I think, 40%. And he said the real change in Target sales is their average day's turnover on their inventory was, I think, like 63 days normally, right? So the average piece of inventory sits there for 63 days before it is sold, right? If you take everything. He said right now it's at like 72. He goes, the best it ever got was 53. He's like, so the reality is, is like basically all of Target's goods are sitting there an average of a week longer, but they're still selling at the same volume. And he's like, do you really think that like is attributable to 40% value loss in Target? He's like, I'm only saying this to point out that like, they're still buying a lot of cargo. They're still bringing in a lot of imports, right? Like, in fact, they're still on the list, right? Ashley Furniture, Nike, Home Depot and Target, and they're talking about furniture, electronics, and clothing, right? Large appliances. The the pandemic changed the way that we have prioritized the things. How much inventory we hold. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Uh, And as consumers too, right? Like you look at, there's a theme of retail, of how like goods for inside of your house, right? Because we have put a big focus on that. Um, Was there anything in the auto industry on there i don't think no. there no, nothing auto on the top 20 nope where are we at with uh, microchips or transmitters or whatever it is anyway i don't know but i've heard that um used cars are starting to trend down um they're still above normal but they're starting to come back because people aren't buying cars really unless they need cars i think to some degree but the big interesting thing also was in a lot of the economic data is that people are still buying a lot of stuff we thought that economists thought that when the summer happens, we were all just going to move to services like we do in the summer and then like stop buying the goods we only really needed for the pandemic. And there's this cliche. Everyone keeps going, how many TVs do we need? Apparently a lot more because people still keep buying them. <laughs> like yeah. the sales are still going. People are buying more. All of the goods and the stuff we put in our house and the retail and the clothes, people are buying more of it. Like it's not coming back down. So. Yeah. One, it's a lot of freight to move. It's a lot of opportunities. And that's a lot of prospects we just listed with a lot of locations you could call this week. Yeah. I will tell you though, don't expect to close them real quick. A lot of these are, are um, like, here, I'll give you another example of what happened in the last week or so with one of our customers. They, um, they're based in the U.S. They have a U.S. based entity, but they're a foreign company and the foreign, like the headquarters in a foreign co- country told the U S division, like, Hey, all of your 
transportation providers need to have this new insurance requirement. And it made no sense why they asked for it, but it was like a hundred thousand dollar like cost to get that insurance umbrella added on. And they're losing a lot of capacity, um, a lot of brokers because they're not willing to do that. So, uh, but that's a little, that's a little side tangent, but some of these companies on here, um, they're going to have stricter requirements to onboard with them. They might have a authority length or they might have a size that you have to be or an insurance, something that's going to cost you money for insurance. They might have a, you know, they only, they only open it up twice a year, once a year for a bid process to onboard new providers and stuff like that. Um, but yes, those are great types of companies to go after. And for every, um, Ashley Furniture that's out there, like that they were what number five on the list. There's other smaller regional furniture outfits that you can get in with that are not as not going to be as difficult. The job or what you got to do though is you got to find them, right? And that's you know that's yeah. And this is a really good example, right? Like we've talked about this in other episodes. Like this is the rabbit hole you're going to go down to find the good prospects. You start with information. Like I'm not suggesting that these 20 companies we listed are going to be your customers. But what we're saying is they're the biggest players. And by being the biggest players, it's the easiest to see when they make a move. And the move they're making is they're buying more stuff, which means to your point, the companies in the same sector that are smaller, you're not going to see them in the news, but they're likely increased sales along with the big players, right? If they're buying that much stuff, the smaller and mid-sized companies are likely to, right? Those are the ones you find their NAICS code, you find their SIC code, then you find the other companies that are local or smaller. You do the Google searches into different zip codes and cities, and you really do work until you find and uncover them. And that's where the honey holes are, right? Like that's where you make the money. That's prospecting. That's it, man. That it is. Well, good stuff. Yeah, that's a good article. There's a link in the episode notes if you want to check it out for that um, that article from Dean Croak of DAT. He is the what principal analyst or something like that. It's got to be under his title. Yeah, it's DAT. principal analyst. Yep. yep. Good and stuff. we'll throw a show note in there too for the Freight Vine episode, but it's the last week episode on June 16th. No, the sky is not falling, but it's absolutely worth a listen. I mean, I've listened to it three times. When you listen to economics, sometimes I have to slow it and rewind it to catch what they're saying. It's a lot of numbers, but it's a lot of really good takeaways. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, good stuff. Any closing thoughts here, Ben? Whether you believe you can or believe you can't, you're right. And until next time, go Bills. That wraps up this episode of Freight 360. Check out the show notes for links to anything that we've referenced on this episode. And make sure to visit us online at Freight360.net to see our entire library of episodes, videos, blogs, and more. And make sure to check us out on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel for daily and weekly tips and content. If you'd like your question answered on the show, fill out the contact us form on our site and we'll see you next week.